0: a mechanic has taught me a lot about life, too. Life is a piece of machinery and we're all parts of it. Some of us are cogwheels, some of us are spark plugs, and some of us are just nuts.
1: The number five most expensive car to repair in this survey, Volkswagen Passat. What does that say about Volkswagen? Volkswagen costs more to repair than a BMW and a Mercedes. I wonder if that accounts for the tow truck. But
0: now that I'm a mechanic, I do things that really help people. Why? Like I ground your valves and I scraped your carbon. If you want me to, I'll adjust your gasket. No, my gasket's fine. I can eat anything. The Car Doctor. There was something
1: I was going to talk about, but I'll be darned if I know what it was. I'll just keep rolling along because I've learned sound on radio is very important when we keep talking. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. And let's be heard. Gee, I've always wanted to do that. So hello and welcome, Ronnie any and the Car Doctor, to the late, great Bob Grant. Um, Ron Enning, The Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls and answer your questions. That is The Car Doctor's 24-7 toll-free hotline. You can call that number anytime, day or night, leave a message, and we will call you back because there's an answering machine there, and um, we'll talk to you about your car problem and get you up here on radio. You can also keep in mind if you're podcasting this radio show, obviously click subscribe. That helps us. You've heard me talking about that of late. But you can, if you're podcasting and you want to call 855-560-9900, you can do that, you know, even though we're not in your market or, we're, you know, we're not on the air in your time zone. We're live on the network Saturdays 2 to 4, and the affiliates take it out and put it out on delay. across various affiliates take it and put it out across the country, uh, different times, different time zones, et cetera. So, but we're here in studio Saturday afternoons 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time. So keep in mind, if you want to talk to us, 855-560-9900 is the phone number. Do you ever wonder, eh, that little bit of a stumble, that little bit of a hesitation – He who hesitates is lost. Well, sometimes you lose a whole lot more than just being lost. 2011 Jeep Liberty came into the shop at Ari Automotive about three weeks ago. Had a misfire on Cylinder 3, P0303, but it was intermittent. It wasn't there all the time. When I spoke to the customer, the conversation was about that it had been doing it for a while, but it wasn't a hard failure, and then it finally turned the light on. And I got the cylinder, yeah, it was it was a P0303 misfire on cylinder three. And then as fast as the problem was there, it went away. And I couldn't duplicate it again. And I looked at a couple of things. I scoped a few things just trying to see, because sometimes a scope will show you something that you don't feel. It will show you the impending failure. Didn't say it. Swap the ignition coils from cylinder three with cylinder one. And sent it on its way. A few days later, the phone rang. It was doing it again. It hadn't turned on the light at that point. And he would get it back into me when he could. Sometimes, when you could, you're better off being earlier rather than later. Two weeks goes by. Lights on. Runs terrible. Came into the shop. I've got a misfire on cylinder one. I've got a misfire on cylinder three, which is kind of interesting. I'll tell you about that in a minute. And I've got a random multiple misfire, P0300. So <laughs> uh, I, I know the coil on number three, which is now number one, is clearly bad because, you know, I've, I've got a fault code for cylinder one. But I've still, I'm still reporting a misfire on cylinder three. I'm also reporting a random multiple misfire. Started to look at a couple of things, pulled out some plugs. I found number four spark plug, or number five actually, I'm sorry, number five spark plug, middle one on the right bank, had carbon tracking down the side. And I knew that was a miss. That wasn't being reported yet, but it was about to be. Pulled out the six plugs. This plugs are supposed to be gapped at 42,000s. They were all close to 60. They were almost 20, thousandths over in some cases. So they were 30% beyond their limit. And that puts an extra strain on the ignition system, as well as creates the potential for incomplete combustion, which creates the problems of carbon deposits, and the mess goes downhill from there. It definitely doesn't go up. So bottom line, yeah, you need a tune-up. We're going to do plugs. We're going to do wires. There's, it's, a, it's a funny system. They've got three coils down the left side of the motor and then three wires that feed the right bank of the motor. So cylinder one feeds cylinder four, cylinder three feeds cylinder uh, um, two, and cylinder, I'm sorry, cylinder five is on the left side, so it's cylinder four on the right side. Cylinder five feeds cylinder um, uh, two. Right. No. Um, Two, four, six, six. Bottom line it comes down to is that um, actually three and six are together, five, and I'll get this right, three and six are together, five and four are together, and one and one and yeah are together bottom line it created multiple misfires on both banks of the engine did the tune took the car for a ride still had a little bit of a stumble still wasn't quite right and lo and behold all of a sudden it happened it was an immediate loss of power looking at it on a scan tool I was looking at air fuel sensors and you could see the right bank downstream O2 Shut off. It just went and flatlined. It died. Brought it back to the shop, up in the air, looked at a few things, pulled that downstream O2 sensor out, and it was physically melted. It was like, you know, looked like a candle. It had just fallen over. Put put an O2 sensor, changed both O2 sensors on the right side, and just going for uniformity because my suspicion was, and my suspicion happened, the catalytic converter on that right bank, you could see the heat blister. That cat had been running hot, real hot. And that's why the O2 sensor melted or partially limped out. The O2 sensor made no difference. It, got a, it had a signal now. It was reacting, but it wasn't correct. The O2 sensor showed high voltage all the time, whereas the left bank showed a switching O2 sensor. Now, understand how an O2 sensor works. An O2 sensor produces a voltage. If it's low or lean, if it's a lean fuel condition, meaning extra oxygen, it produces a low signal. If it's a high signal, it means there's a lack of oxygen. And what it was happening was the catalytic converter on the right bank had melted, restricted the exhaust, and instead of oxygen in the system, it was being polluted and diluted with exhaust, the exhaust couldn't come out that bank of the engine, and it was choking the engine down. Pulled the O2 sensor back out, took my borescope, went up and looked inside, snaked it down inside the cat, down around, and sure enough, at the belly at the back of it, you could see how the cat was broken up and starting to crumble. Bottom line, don't ignore misfires. Ignoring misfires are kind of like ignoring that Thumping sensation you get in your chest when you say, nah, it's okay, it's just heartburn. Get it checked out. It's not worth the risk because in the case of this Jeep, it needed a catalytic converter. The right bank cat had melted down, and it was in need of replacement. And I'm sure the left side, once we got it apart, we would see that. Unfortunately, the customer made the decision that they'd had enough. They'd had some other problems with the vehicle, uh, some recall, some software problems, airbag, as he put it it really wasn't a very good car and he was going to get rid of it and traded it in so the bottom line becomes that misfires yeah it's something to pay attention to and those funny noises and sensation yeah it's something to pay attention to um just be mindful of it and you won't end up like a uh, certain jeep liberty i'm aware of which by the way it's it's an interesting conversation we were talking uh a little bit ago we we're talking about renovating the shop and you know how i'm trying to clean up some scan tools and you know, just deal with the things that are more current and modern, get my scan tool list down to where it's, you know, I want to work on 8 to 10 model years because those older cars nobody's going to work on. I knew it was time to clean up the shop when I found the scan tool for the 92 Hyundai because all those Hyundais are in the junkyard anyway at this point. But my point is it's hard to convince people sometimes to put a catalytic converter in a 5-year-old vehicle. They want to get rid of it. What makes me think that they're going to want to fix a 22-year-old vehicle? It's just not going to happen, so. Sometimes tools have to go. Anyway, just my two cents and uh, just an observation from the shop this week that was um that was just kind of interesting just it's just not worth fixing and I get it. I I don't understand it sometimes, but I get it because uh, sometimes you got to ride it out. 855-560-9900 I'm running in the car doctor. I'll be back right after this. Welcome back. We're on the end of the car, doctor, rolling along at eight five five Let's get over and talk to Dennis in Fairlawn, New Jersey, right up the street from the cookie factory. Um, are you downwind or upwind of Nabisco there, Dennis? Uh, downwind. Uh, so you, you know when they're making Oreos. Do they make Oreos there still anymore?
2: Uh, I'm not sure, but sometimes it smells yeah. very aromically.
1: Yeah, cookie, cookie-ish. Uh, yeah, whenever that's 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 the thing about it. if you if you live in North Jersey and a North Jersey and knows this, if you're on a diet, you somehow find yourself wandering out onto Route 208 just to drive up and down, windows down, so you can get the smell, and at least you get the smell of cookie, much less not eat one. So, but um, that's that's the big deal there. How can I help you today, kiddo? I've
2: got a 2006 Scion with 240 thousand miles,
1: just broken in.
2: I just broken in, and I want to keep it forever. Okay. Now,
1: forever is a long time, Dennis. You got to be careful now.
2: I would have replaced this car three times if they still made it. Mm. Now, it it sounds like somebody dumped some uh, marbles into the crankcase. It seems the noise seems to be coming from uh, upper passenger side of the engine. It's not the. AC clutch, and it's not the water pump. Okay. I suspect it's a timing chain. Okay. Now, is there a simple fix for this? Um, like a tensioner?
1: Well, the, here's here's the problem. All right, let's let me just back up a second. So, I, I'm going to assume that you've pulled the belts off the front of the motor and you've started it, and you still have the noise. Yes. Okay. So this is internal in the engine. Yes. Let's let's for conversation's sake say it's it's in the timing chain. Let's say it's the tensioner. All right. The problem is, at a quarter million miles, what's next? And how do you take it apart? The labor to take it apart and repair whatever is there is, you know, it's not going to be cheap. So do you do you take it out? Do you pull the engine? You said you wanted to keep it forever, right? I have it on radio. You just said that two minutes ago. Do you pull it apart, do what we used to call a reseal, change all the gaskets, rear main oil pan, et cetera, put a chain put change, put the chain put the guides do a tensioner look at the oil pump all right i'm not talking a complete engine overhaul but i'm just talking a you know a mild a mild rebuild if i will and then yeah. put it and then put it back in the car i mean you know either that or you're going to you're going to go through the engine cuz you've got it out of the car the problem is what's the cost factor you know, back in the day when there were engine shops around and, and they existed, you know, it's probably every bit of $3,500, $4,000 to put an engine in that car.
2: Okay, next question. Who makes the best remanufactured reman- engines?
1: If we're going to do a remanufactured engine, I like the ones that are hand-built. Listen, everybody knows Jasper. Jasper makes an okay product, all right? A lot of guys do Jasper engines. The nice thing about Jasper... They've got a great insurance policy. The bad thing is they kind of need it. <laughs> All right. Uh, you know, it's, 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 I'm not completely impressed that they're so flawless, but if, if they're the only game in town, then that's what I'm going to do. But the key becomes just as important as whose engine you're going to put in it. It's also going to be a case of who's going to be the installer because it's only as good in how careful the guy is that's doing the job. Does the car really justify? An engine at this point, if that's what it becomes, Dennis? I mean, how's the body? How's the interior?
2: Well, I look at it like this. This car is unique enough that it could be my QQ car in a couple of years.
1: Okay. All right. As long as you're prepared. You know, they don't, obviously they don't make Scion anymore. And, you know, my number one rule about a car is buy something you like because when it breaks, you don't mind fixing it. That's... You, you know, you don't mind the expense. If that's this car, Dennis, if this car floats your boat and, 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 and twists your head, then by all means. You know, it's, it's – have you priced having it done – well, I'm going to ask the question this way. Who's your mechanic? Who's your regular mechanic that services this car?
2: This car never breaks. The only well, never
1: else, Dennis, somebody's <laughs> got to be working on it. Somebody's got to be putting brakes on me, it and changing fluids. Me, and,
2: me. Okay. A couple sets of brakes, a water pump, and a wheel bearing in 240,000 miles.
1: Okay. So now you're faced with the unamiable task of – now you've got to find a mechanic to turn it over to to do open-heart surgery.
2: Well, I priced engines, a reman engine, about 2500 and I figured about 500 to install it.
1: Mm, okay. I would, I, would, I would start asking around. You might find somebody hungry to do it for 500 You know, it's, it's you know, and then who's, whose engine is it, and then who's, when the engine blows up in three weeks, who's paying the warranty to repair it?
2: Are, are you familiar with Promar in Patterson?
1: I've heard the name.
2: Uh, Anything good or bad?
1: No, nothing, no reviews.
2: Mm, No
1: no reviews. Um, You know, I've heard the name, but beyond that, um, I I don't know of them.
2: One more quick question. Sure. It's really not a loud noise. It's not a rapping sound. It's just something that I hear rumbling around. How how much further do you think this engine will go?
1: Well, I don't know. How long has it been making the noise?
2: Uh, Three months.
1: Okay. Has the noise changed or intensified in that no, three months? not really. So it's it's been consistent. And, you know, have you, have you babied it? Uh, no. Okay. Do you want to find out how important the noise is? It's yeah. A, it's a little risky. Are you ready to take this risk? Um, okay. You, you absolve me of the outcome? Okay. Take your foot, go out to 208, put your foot in the headlight and see what happens.
2: <laughs> you, I do it every night.
1: You, you knew I was going to say it. Um, you know, if it if it holds up to a couple of full throttle passes, then whatever it is, you know, when it starts to change in sound, that's one thing. And I'm I'm kind of kidding with you, but my point is when it starts to change in sound, that's when you've, you know, you're getting down to it. The bigger issue is if it does fail, if it does fail, then how much damage is it going to do? That's number 1 and number 2. My original comment was i prefer engines i prefer to rebuild what's in the car all right you're going to take it to promar jasper whoever it is and you're going to take yours out and send them yours as a core and they're going to you're going to get theirs and they're going to put you know what i'd rather have the original engine that came with the car find a machine shop my advice would be find a machine shop that still rebuilds in-house okay if they don't if they don't pull the engine They'll know somebody that will, an installer and, 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 install and remover, and let okay. them. And you know what? And then get a hand built motor. Does does? And I'm going to ask this as delicately as I can, Dennis. Does the money really matter? If it was four thousand dollars instead of twenty five hundred, but it was a top job, would that make you happier?
2: No, not with my ultimate plan is to keep this car forever.
1: Right. Well, that's. But that's what I'm saying. Aren't you better off spending more money on a on what's perceived to be a better value, a better job? than something that, you know, is assembly line built? Yes. Of right. That's, and that's my point. Um, you know, I, I always felt that the engine that was hand-built in a small shop, I remember when RPM was around in North Jersey and RPM Performance and Doc did the heads and, and um, gosh, I can't think of his name. I can see his face. Frank did the um, uh, the block work, and one guy did the assembly. Three guys built the whole engine. That was it. And, mm-hmm. you know, those days are gone. Uh, You know, a lot of the smaller shops, a lot of the uh, smaller businesses have gone the way of the Etzel simply because there isn't demand for engine rebuilding anymore in this part of the state. But bottom line, uh, you know, I I don't want to make this a regional show. I mean, it's a national show. I'm sure out in California, I'm sure there's other parts of the country where rebuilding engines still goes on. But in terms of here, I'd look for that shop that might still exist. just not going to be in North Jersey. It might be a little bit more towards Central and uh, get some reviews. At least the power of the internet will give you the ability to research, um, you know, who's good and who's bad. But I would think twice before I turned over the original engine to a builder as a core and lose touch of it altogether. Good luck to you, Dennis. I'm running Andy in the Car Doctor. I'll be back right after this. Car Doctor here, 855-560-9900. By the way, a quick shout-out to the little lady in the audience. Mom is um, recuperating, and uh, she's in studio with us today. Wave, Mom. Can she wave? I don't see her. Oh, okay, there she is. Yep, okay. Yeah, hi, Mom. We're uh, glad to have her. Mom's with us today. Um, She's having a good time and uh, watching us do radio. She likes to watch us do radio. I haven't figured that one out yet, but um, it's Mom. You do whatever you want. Uh, By the way, for the gentleman who called up, uh, was it the prior hour, uh, with the conversation about the water pump on the Hemi, so with the concern about the coolant and how good or bad the coolant is, I have an email in front of me from a listener out in Illinois who's talking about – he found some good information on a website, Motorrad. Motor, sure, I know who Motorrad is. Motorradusa.com, uh motoradusa.com. They've got an article there about flushing and filling your car's radiator if you don't have a machine. So that's something you can go and look at, MotorRadUSA.com. They've got an article. I'm looking right at it now, Flushing and Filling Your Car's Radiator. I agree with what they're saying. They're basically talking about a procedure of draining, filling, running, draining, filling, running, and repeating it two to three times as a method of exchanging and getting out the coolant, too. And listen, you know what? For lack of a better way to put it, the poor man's way of doing things, it works. Uh, It's a little costly in coolant. And obviously there's going to be a, a time factor involvement there, but um, it is a good idea. You can get, Like I said, you can get out to MOTORAD, M-O-T-O, usa.com and uh, take a look at it. They've got a bunch of great articles there, tech tips, and uh, as well as some information about radiator caps and thermostats and things like that. So, um, you know, enjoy. And uh, thanks for that tip, uh, Tony from Illinois. Let's go over and talk to Jim in Turner, Maine, 03F150, and um, some problems. Yeah, Jim, how can I help you, yeah. sir? Yes, sir.
3: Yes, glad to talk with you, Ron. Thank uh, you, sir. I get a two thousand three F one hundred and fifty with electrical problems. We got It was all banged up, and the guys fixed it all up. We uh, straightened the frame, changed fenders and bumper. Okay. And as soon as you turn the lights on, that thing wants to quit. It doesn't short out any fuses.
1: Okay. When you say it wants to quit, Jim, it 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 shuts the vehicle off. It does. It
3: terminates it.
1: All right. So let me let me start let me start things this way. When you when it's sitting there running, no headlights, uh, what's the charging system voltage?
3: Uh it's uh, I took it at uh over fourteen okay. charging and, and without running it's at twelve twelve eight.
1: All right, so we've got good battery voltage, we've got alternator output. You, did you do a current output test of the alternator no. as well?
3: No, while the vehicle's running the the headlights look like they got candle power. They're really dim.
1: Okay. And that, that's, that's where I was going to go with this. You know, we got to establish some baseline. Listen, it, God forbid they wheeled you into the emergency room. What's, what is the first thing they always do, right? You're complaining yeah. of leg pains or chest pains. Whatever you're complaining about, they always do the same basic things. Heart rate, yeah. blood pressure. They might take a blood sample. They're going to look in your eyes, your ears, your nose. You know, yeah. they, they go through the drill, all right? I've got a car with an electrical problem. I'm going to load test the battery. I'm going to check charging voltage rate under load and current rate under load. And I want to make sure it meets spec. All right? Okay. That's number one. Now, you've got a problem where y- you notice weak headlight illumination. Right. What if you just turn the headlights on with the engine off?
3: It'll, it'll idle as soon as you hit the brake. No, it'll
1: no, 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 Engine off, turn the headlights oh. on. Uh I don't think we tried that. Okay. So let's do this. Let's let's leave the engine off, turn the headlights on, and see how bright they are.
3: Yeah, I'm not with the vehicle now, but right. I will try, that. I will try okay. that in the morning.
1: And if, if, hear me out, if you turn the headlights on and they're weak, hook a battery charger up to it. Engine off. I, oh, yeah. Okay. And put a little bit of a charge rate in it. You got a voltmeter. The boys in the shop have a voltmeter. Yeah. Oh no, I, I'm an
3: electrician. I okay,
1: so figure out figure out what setting of the battery charger makes it. I don't know. Pick a number. Fourteen two, fourteen five. Right. All right. Put fourteen point five volts across the battery. Turn the headlights on. Are the headlights still dim? If the headlights right. if the headlights are still dim, now we know that it's got nothing to do with the engine. You've got a bad ground somewhere in the circuit.
3: Yeah, that's what many people assume. Um, but you don't think the battery could have been jarred so heavily on that impact? That's what happened. The truck sustained a really bad impact. Well,
1: that's what the load test will tell us, right? Okay. Yeah, you, know, you
3: don't think there's a crack it, cell or anything. Right? right.
1: Well, that's what the load test will tell us. Okay. You know, if we do a load test, listen, you're in the emergency room, okay, and yep. you're complaining of chest pain. You know they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna check your heart and they're gonna check it six ways to Sunday, check that battery six ways to Sunday every which way you it. can and you gotta go by the numbers, all right. That's
3: interesting. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there's absolutely probably as a problem as the battery.
1: All right. Well, I'm not saying it is the battery. I'm just saying, but you gotta test it. You have to test. Look. You know what the problem is with diagnosis? I can I can tell it to you real simple. You know what the biggest mistake people make in diagnosis? They test looking to find the wrong thing right away. All right?
3: That's what I was doing.
1: I test looking to find out what's good so I can figure out what's bad. So
3: you can move on, right?
1: I don't don't make any determinations in my head. I'll sit there and I'll go, I want to check these four things. Maybe one of these four is bad, but I want to get them off the table. They're quick, simple, easy, move on, next. All right? Absolutely. if, If you load test that battery and it passes... And it's a battery that takes water, and you can go cell by cell and check each cell in specific gravity. That battery's good. Forget it. Move on. The alternator output, if it's good, move on. If you do what I said with the battery charger and and, and check voltage output and check headlight illumination and it doesn't improve, you're an electrician. Follow the electrons, right? If it's got them coming in, it can't get them going out. There's a bottleneck somewhere. The traffic's on the highway. Yeah. It's, it's put an extra ground on the headlights, for that matter. Put an extra ground on the headlights, and does the headlight illumination go up, and does the problem with the sh- shutting off go away? Yeah. All
3: right. I can do those.
1: So i got yep. a couple of things for you to do. You'll do that. You'll call me back next week, Jimmy? I'll do it. All right, sir. Good luck to you, and uh, thanks Thank for being a you right. listener. You're very welcome. Take good care. 855. Listen, it's, it's basics, man. You know, you can't – I mean, sometimes you get – you're in the bay and you're in it and, you know, you're up to your eyeballs and it's Friday, it's three o'clock and they're coming for the car and you're just, you're that close and it's still sticking in your craw. But you got to diagnose, you got to find what's good so you can figure out what's bad. One of the mantras I live by in the last couple of years is I think it's, the, I think it's the motto of the big red one, the infantry division, stay calm and return fire when you're in the middle of a diagnosis. Stay calm and return fire because that's how you're going to win the game. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. I'm Ronan Ani in the Car Doctor. I'll be back right after this. Back. Ron Aining and the Car Doctor at 855 560 9900. Let's get over and talk to Greg in Iowa, 02 Ford Ranger pick up truck. Greg, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. How can I help?
0: Hi, thank you. Uh, way, I've got a 2002 Ford Ranger. It's got about 103,000 miles on it. It's got that 4.0 6-cylinder. Okay. Sure. I, I went out a couple of weeks ago to, and just it's, it's garaged. I always take care of it. I service when it needs service. Went out to start it, and it just. It started, but it sounded like it was running on four cylinders, just belched black smoke and, and just would hardly run, and I'd goose it a little bit, and as, as it, you got the RPMs up, it would clear up a little bit, but there was obviously something wrong. So I shut it off, uh, opened the hood, although I'm not a mechanic. I didn't know what I was looking at, you know, and just checked to make sure the plug wires and things were there and stuff, and uh, waited about five minutes, started again, started fine, ran okay. fine. It's been and fun- ever since, I, I'm afraid to take it out because I don't want to get caught out somewhere and have that problem again. I even took it to a, a mechanic at uh, one of the service stations in my small town. But like you say, if it's not broke, you can't fix it. right? You know? right. He couldn't find anything. any idea what that might be.
1: Well, one of the things I would look for is I'd, I'd love to see what fuel pressure is like on this truck. Did anybody check fuel pressure uh, during, no. during the course of this?
0: So I think, if anything, it was getting too much gas. It well,
1: just, you know, that's right. But it's also, there's also a couple of things fuel pressure is going to tell us. I mean, there, there, there's, there's a couple of ways to approach this. Number one, when was the last time the fuel filter was replaced?
0: Uh, the, I'll tell you, in the last six or seven months, I had I had the uh, fuel pump replaced. So okay. I'm assuming it was replaced at that time. And you know what a job the fuel pump is on. Oh, sure.
1: So days. I just, you know what, if, if I'm dealing with something in the area of a, of, of a fuel system, I want to know when the filter was changed last. I've, okay. I've I've seen a lot of funny things happen from restricted fuel filters. I don't think that's the case here, but I'm just trying to make a point that maintenance does help solve problems. So if it hasn't had a fuel filter in a while, let's put it down, let's pull it down, blow through it, whether it's clean or dirty. Let's just change it and get that over with. That being okay. said, all right, they put a fuel pump in it, all right
3: uh-huh.
1: I still want to know what's sitting rest fuel pressure, what is running fuel pressure and how long does residual fuel pressure last okay all right if fuel pressure bleeds off within 30 seconds of turning the key off we got a problem it's got to hold pressure and is 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 the problem going to be is it in the regulator or is it in the injector itself something's causing or something caused this to run rich Right. Okay? Okay. Now, as you said, right, It, you may not duplicate it again because, but I can tell you this, letting it sit in the garage is only going to make it worse. You'll never find it. You'll never drive the vehicle. Yeah. It'll rot away.
0: Yeah. So. Well, I thought I'm probably going to have to take it to the dealer or something, and maybe they had, I, somebody said maybe it was, they had all these, you know, cars are a lot different than they were back when I was in the business, and they have sensors and things like that that, that uh I think can can affect that, but it's, it, that's way past what anything well, you know, I would be able to do.
1: You know, Greg, it could, but for a sensor to let's let's talk about this. Let's say it was a coolant temp sensor, all right? Okay. And you know, back in the days, you said you were in the business. You were you in the business in the days of carburetors and choke flaps?
0: Correct. Yes. Uh, okay.
1: Right. So in the days of carburetors and choke flaps, if the choke flap stuck on, that thing would run dead rich. Right. All right. And it would black soot on the driveway and foul the plugs right. and so on exactly. and so forth. Okay.
0: Uh-huh.
1: In computerized fuel injection vehicles, they're looking at a coolant temp sensor. Mm-hmm. So, you know, can we duplicate it? What does the coolant temp sensor look like? Is there any history in the system of a pending code? Is it, you know, do we, if we look at coolant temp sensor and intake air temp sensor without even starting the car one day, are they within 10 degrees of each other? So there's some testing there they can do. But even so, a coolant temp sensor, boy, it didn't have to be minus 40 on a 20-degree day. I I can't say that I've seen it where it would actually physically kill two cylinders. When you start losing cylinders, it's usually an injection issue in that cylinder, whether it's high pressure, low pressure, no pressure, stuck open injector, peeing fuel, something like that. Okay. All right? So... You're going to have to drive it. Somebody's going to have to start to diagnose it, hook a few things up to it, and start to attack it from there. Um, okay. I, would, I would be looking at sensors. I would be looking at pending codes. I would monitor fuel pressure and ask them, and this is how you'll know if they know what they're doing, ask them if they can look at Mode 6 test data.
0: Mode 6. Mode oh, 6.
1: All right. Mode 6 test data. Did you ever wonder how a computer knows when it has a problem? No. Well, when you were a little kid, if you didn't clean your room, how did your mother? How did your mother find out? She went up and looked at it, right? Right. And then you got the beaten, right? Uh
0: huh. So the, absolutely. right,
1: or you got right. So the way the computer knows whether or not you cleaned your room is, it asks it for the car to do something, and it looks for a response, and it tests that in an area of the computer software called Mode Six. Okay. So. You know, you go to Mode 6, if you can read Mode 6, you'll see how it tested the coolant circuit. You'll see how it tested for engine misfires. You'll see how it tested airflow sensor response. You'll see those tests, and even though it, maybe it's not bad enough to get a spanking, turn it on the check engine light, it might be bad enough to tell you, hey, this is on the fuzzy edge of something about to happen.
0: Mm, and that's okay. why, that's yeah, why. You know what? That's another thing I forgot to tell you that right when this happened, the, the test in, the check engine light didn't come on. But as I say, for for days I've been starting it, pulling it out, letting it warm up, and then turn it off. Then later in the day, starting it back, basically backing it back in. And sometime during that time, the, pe- the check engine light did come on.
1: There you go. You got a spanking. Yeah. It's time to go. It's, right. it's time to go so- see mom, kiddo. And, um, you know, it's time to go see mom and get a spanking because something turned that check engine light on. Let them take a look at it and give me a call next week. I'm sorry, I got to go I'm up against the clock, Greg. 855 560 9900. The car doctor's coming back right after this. <laughs> You know, it pays if I put my headphones on. Look at that, huh, Tone? I'm already now. Hey, Ron and Andy, the car doctor. I'm looking around. My ears were cold. I'm saying, wait, I'm missing something. Um, Got to put the headphones on. I'm here, folks. Honest. I'm not going anywhere, much to Tony's chagrin. Quick piece of email. Ron, thanks for your show. I'm thinking about buying a Toyota Highlander Hybrid, which has a CVT Trans. Would you please spend a minute talking about their transmissions, their reliability, and problems? Also, if you could address hybrid technology, its level of technology integration problems you've seen, et cetera. Thanks for all your help on this, Lance, out in California. Lance, I'll tell you what, I reached out to a personal friend. We go out to dinner three, four times a year and uh, spend more time than I probably could imagine uh, talking by email and on the phone about cars and Toyotas and everything in general. He's the service manager of a uh, Toyota dealer here in the area. So he answered. I'll answer. CVTs have been pretty much bulletproof. For example, here we've never replaced one. As for maintenance on the transmission, there is none. As for hybrid technology, none better than Toyota, period. Just ask those drive Toyotas. Just ask those drive Toyotas for the tires on the Lexus version. I, oh, okay, was, the comment was also about how Lexuses wear out tires faster. As for the tires on the Lexus versions, all I have to say is Bridgestone tires wear out quickly. On the Toyota side, you see Michelin tires. Interesting. Okay, disclaimer. I own a Prius. This is the service manager of a local Toyota dealer. I own a Hi- Highlander hybrid for three years, and Brian, one of the techs, owns a Prius. He's their head tech up there, and one additional master tech and two additional Toyota master techs both own Priuses. And uh, you know, take it from this: the shoemaker doesn't have time to fix his shoes if they're driving them. They must work. So, um, best answer I could give you. And I would have to back, I would have to verify that up. You know, we don't fix CVTs in the shop, and the reason is they don't break. We don't see the technology having a failure. And if the dealer doesn't see it, the independents aren't going to see it, and that sort of tells you how good they are. Now, here's the here's the downside to it: you're buying a house with a copper roof. As long as you're prepared to have the guy that understands the copper roof service and repair it, whatever service and repair it might need, that's okay. But if you think you're going to take a CVT with hybrid technology down to Bob's Corner Garage, eh, Bob's better be up to the task. So just uh, talking my talk. Hey, I'm Ron in The Car Doctor. It's been an absolute pleasure to be with you these past two hours. And until the next time, good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.